Hi guys, and welcome back to Pass the Syrup, the estate agency podcast run by agents for agents, where we dissect, review, look at all the waffle out there, try and put some syrup on the waffle because syrup makes things taste nicer. Today, I am joined by three fantastic guests. We have the marvellous Megan 18 of Location Location. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm bloody wonderful. Um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit, 30 seconds, who you are, where you come from, what you do? Um, I'm Megan 18 from Location Location. Um, I am entering my 14th year in a state agency, worked in all the different roles throughout, and I'm now um, based in Stoke Newington with our fabulous team there. Very, very nice. Um, Megan, you're also running for something right now. Let's just get straight into that. Just get straight in there. Just Let's get straight in. What is it you're going for right now? So I'm hoping to be the next vice president for Arla Property Mark. So um, voting's open now. Click the link that I'm going to clearly paste below. Um, yeah, we've got another week left and then we'll see what happens. Exciting stuff. So mm. what, what what's the role of a vice president? So essentially, if you think about like a lead singer of a band, that's basically what the president is. So we'll, we'll be out there, we'll meet the members. So you do a three-year term and your last term, the last year, is the actual president of um, of all the letting agents as Arla. So it's a big job, very exciting. Um, we've got NEA being voted for at the same time. So there's some great candidates out there for everybody to look at. Excellent, exciting stuff. Good luck. Uh, so there will be details below for, um, I guess you have to be a member to vote for Megan. So we can only provide content for them to click through to and right? Okay. You can, enthusiasm and sharing that's what you guys can offer enthusiasm and sharing that is yeah that is lovely i like it jazz hands um yeah so oh you've reminded me so i never ever do this and i'm told that i must relentlessly do it right now when you're watching hit subscribe hit like give us a comment say how wonderful megan's hair is looking today um Thank irrespective of the humidity in the air um and i'm going to say that again and again and again and again, again, again. Because I don't say it, and um, apparently it helps a lot, which I believe. Let's move on, because I'm waffling. Daniel King of urban.co.uk joins us. Daniel, how's it going? I'm good, I'm good. Happy to be here. How are you? Good man. Uh, just wonderful. Just wonderful this morning with you three. Um, give us your who you are, what you are, where you've been. Perfect. So, like I said, I work at urban.co.uk, um, and I'm also the lens manager for Housie. Uh, it may come... It may ruffle a few feathers, but I've always been an online agent as opposed to a traditional high street agent. So I am going to come here with a bit of a different kind of take and perspective on things from the online industry compared to the traditional high street or self-employed type agency. I like it. We've got a feather ruffler. <laughs> well, as you can probably tell, speech impediment. I like it, Daniel. Ruffle the feathers. That's easier for me to say. Do your thing. Um we want as many different opinions as possible. Diversity is absolutely a necessity in our industry. Uh, so, yeah, bring some of that. Good man. Reese, Reese Maddock, Red Rose Property, um, Cookie Monster. <laughs> Private joke. No one knows what we're talking about. Reese loves a particular type of cookie. So do I, actually. Which ones are they? Ben, it's not me that likes the cookies. I think you've just assumed it's me. <laughs> So I'm doing a new thing, right? It's a fasting thing. I watched, uh, uh, listened to Diary of a CEO. Anyone listen to Diary of a CEO? Pretty good. And I listened to the um, episode recently about AI and how it will take over the world, um, which is terrifying. Won't go, won't wander off down that one. But um, it then prompted me to listen to the one about fasting. And I'm doing, uh, uh, yesterday, my first 18-hour fast. Sounds like a lot, it's not that bad. But today, this morning, it feels much more difficult. I'm living off a coffee and I've done three and a half hours worth of exercise because I'm doing the agent's charity ball, which is dancing, which I'm doing those lessons this morning. Anyway, I'm making excuses for why I'm waffling. Reese, pull me back from the depth, mate. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Forget the cookie comment. Yeah, so I'm up in Yorkshire. I've been an estate agent for 14 years also. Um, and I've done like a vast role. So I've done online, I've done hybrid, I've done high street um, before obviously campaigning for Red Roots and doing what we, we currently do now. Good man. Okay. Introductions out of the way, pig zero that. Um, let's start with Agents Together. Sam Offley, um, is everyone a part of Agents Together in this group? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Marvelous. So we all know Sam, um, the man, the myth, the legend. He runs Agents Together, which is a mentor mentee sort of charity setup. If you are an estate agent with years and years of experience and you want to give something back, contact Sam and become a mentor. It's so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's so rewarding. Um, if you are reasonably new, actually, no, that's not right. If you feel like you might benefit from a mentor, you want to be a mentee, and there's lots of people with years and years of experience who still have mentees, contact Sam. Each week we play a clip from Sam with a current issue that he'd like some support on. And our three guests are going to give their opinion. So let me share the screen and let's hear from Sam. And you guys can tell us what you think. Hello, Pastor Syrup guests. Now, my question to you this week is what advice would you give someone who is wanting to improve their time management skills? So time management skills, that old chestnut, the, you know, the thing that estate agents are really, really good at, effective diary management and time skill time time management and time blocking and the oh yeah let's go straight into looks like megan you're desperate to give us something go on megan what would your advice be is that the face i was giving that is the face the i'm i'm ready i'm pumped i'm there <laughs> go for me give it to me first uh, um so i think for me one of the biggest issues that we have is that people don't realize what they're using their time on so one of the things I like to do with um, with negotiators that are having this issue is I give them like a time block sheet. And throughout the day, they basically shade off, okay, I've spent three hours on emails, I've spent two hours on the phone. And actually what we then do is we, we, we then bulk the times together. So say for example, they're spending half an hour dripping around emails. Would it not be better to have two hours solely focused on emails and nothing else? You know, so try and cut out some of that outside noise. Um, I think as well, you can put in time for specific tasks. So things like proactive calling, for me, that should be diarized and it shouldn't be moved in your diary. You know, it should be a set time every day that you are proactive with your calling out. Um, and I think those probably are my two nuggets. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. We've got to allow some other nuggets to be thrown in the mix. Right now, Reese and Daniel, both desperate. Who Who's going to go first? Because he might say the one I'm going to say. Um, I think if you guys are looking that way, we should rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first. That could be we, quite which funny. Way, which way are we looking? Um, um, Reese, can you look at your right? Oh, really? Oh, that's so disappointing. Okay, you know what? I'll get the guys to, to do it in post-production. So a one, two, three, and then, yeah? Ready? Go. Exciting. One, two, three. Wow, oh, that was painful, oh, oh. but Reese, you won. <laughs> so bad. My hands are up. Um, uh, Reese, your advice, please, sir? Um, so... My advice is I find myself as a very reactive person. So even in the evening when it should be downtime and personal time, if that email comes in, I'm reacting to it. And what that means is that actually I'm not having any valued time for myself. So I feel like I've got a lack of time, but all that I have lacked in doing is protecting that time. Um, and I think when I've been better at saying like, right, I'm going to come off my phone now and have a couple of hours, you know, just having time for me. When I've gone back to actually working, I've been more productive because I felt like I've had that time off. Um, so for me, it's, uh, I guess, similar to Megan, is putting more structure in place and making sure that I'm not always reacting and that I'm actually being proactive and going into the, you know, with a bit of a plan. Good man. Very nice. Daniel, big finish from you. Big finish. Perfect. Um, I'll, I'll talk about something that I had at a conference a while back, which was unitasking, which is basically just focus on the one thing at once. It's kind of building slightly off of what Megan's mentioned as well where if you've blocked out the hour or so in your diary to do your sales call outs, you have a call come in, you take that call, you then get distracted trying to deal with that call and then you come back to it and then the hour that you had is now 40 minutes instead. It's just trying to make sure that you focus on kind of a single point at once. Everyone says they can multitask. No one can multitask as well as they think they can. So if you focus on specifically the one thing, you'll do that far better than if you were to focus and try and do five different things within the same time frame. Amazing advice. Great advice. Completely agree with everything. Um, Daniel, your final point, actually. So I think the number one skill, the best skill somebody can learn is the ability to focus. I think with focus comes so much, so much more. Um, but it's also it, it's a really elite level skill. So few people are able to focus. There's so much going on around us. So the notes I've just made while you guys are speaking is um, time blocking works really, really well. The ability to say no 
is an absolute, you know, that you know, we've become, I, I think, society encourages us to say yes to, to, to more than we should and take on more than we should, to say no. Um, Megan, that task you get your guys to, we do it actually at a management level in the old business. We would give everyone a 30 minute slot breakdown. What are you doing in every 30 minute window of the day? And you, you know, the amount of, oh, I've spent 30 minutes not really doing anything is astonishing. Um, and so you do, you could do that for literally just for a week and it, it has such an impact. Um, one thing that I've started doing is notifications off. Oh, I just, you know what? I was literally about to say that the, the game changer of sliding down on your iPhone and I've just put it on now while I'm on this so that nothing Mm. can ping up and distract me while I'm talking. And the, um, you know, the, uh, the charges where you have your phone next to your laptop and it's pointing up at you, the phone. And so it's just relentless notifications. Just turning those off, you'll just you'll get you get genuinely get some focus time. Um, so great advice, guys. Thank you very much. Um, let's dig straight into it. So topic number one, we are going to talk about someone or a business that's been in the trade press an astonishing amount recently, um, and it's it's clearly it's capturing eyes and and you know, in true estate agency fashion, there are lots of comments on these sort of stories in the trade mm-hmm. press. Everyone's got their opinion. Um, we're talking about Keller Williams. And there's been conversations recently around them shutting market centers. There's been uh, statements from the top dog saying business is thriving. It's an exciting time. There, uh, there was an opinion piece last week about the model being very, very difficult to make profitability or, or build profitability. So look, guys, I don't necessarily want to have a conversation about Keller Williams because as we've already discussed pre-show, we are not Keller Williams experts, but there's a reason why that model is struggling. I always think of Keller Williams and EXP sort of in the same bracket because to me, they sort of, they came up at sort of similar times. They found themselves, um, they became vocal at similar times, even if one was in the the UK beforehand. It appears as though EXP is thriving and it appears at face value as though Keller is is struggling. Anyone have any ideas why? Reese, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think, Reese? Look, I think, I think firstly, in terms of like the model, there's, I think there's absolutely a place for it because there's definitely entrepreneurs out there that are not ready to go out there with their own brand and start their own estate agency because it's a lonely place, right? And they want that, um, if they've been in high street branches or even online models, they've had colleagues and to go out there solely alone is a really, really scary thing. But then there's still that entrepreneur in people that, you know, really, really want to give that a go. So I think- So like- Reese, just before you go on, explain- the model because i think there are lots of people that are not you know they, they read the trade press but they didn't necessarily understand the model I, I interviewed someone a few months ago who'd been with a well-known high street agent for f- uh, five or six years i was in a senior position and when i talked about the other options he had a, a, other than us he wasn't particularly familiar so i think actually you know, bec- not everyone in the stage knows everything that's going on so just explain really really briefly your understanding of the model so people understand yeah, so like a, a obviously a commission split where you're self-employed, you have your own business, but it sits within a model and, and you get support. Now, I know some models will differ, but I think EXP is 70-30 and I think that's similar um, with, with Keller Williams. And then I think any agent you bring on board as well, you can you can make a commission. So I guess it's, I don't want to say the word, but it is a, a pyramid scheme of agents that come on board. So Everyone loves a pyramid scheme, right? until it all topples over and um okay so the the model is um self-employed agent it's almost it's a low cost space to start your own business right and that's one of the of the major highlights that you can you can get on board you can start your own your own business there are low fixed costs but you're giving up a chunk of your commission um and as you said Reese, there's a place for it because there are definitely models up and down the country that are successfully running that that style daniel what's your take I'll agree with Risa that it does, and with yourself, that there are models out there that are doing it really well. Um, from what I've seen kind of in the in the press, just to touch on the Keller Williams part, the couple that they've closed from Keller Williams, it just seems like that's because for Bristol and Warwick, that they close those because they're not meeting the SLA that they've got. They're not meeting the service level agreement. So Keller Williams, again, I'm coming off of kind of press articles here, seems like they close them themselves to kind of protect the brand in total, which if you look at it in one hand, great because it does protect the brand. If someone in Bristol under your kind of um, that model 
messes up, causes a big scandal, then you in Newcastle are going to be affected by that because you are kind of under one brand. Um, I think it differs then from EXP because they tend to focus more on the individual person. You drive past an EXP board and you've got the photo of John Smith, the estate agent, selling it instead of just EXP alone. So the, the model is out there and it can definitely work and there's always going to be a place for it. You need to, if you jump straight into starting an agency now, there's so much support that you're going to need kind of from elsewhere and it's going to be such a barrier to entry that you as an agent would pay the cost to these models to kind of get rid of that barrier of entry so that you can kind of jump in get things started great you know kind of three people personally that are looking to sell their house at the moment you can then do it for them and you can kind of start going straight away as opposed to going out applying for the getting your anti-money laundering and getting your client money accounts, getting all your legislative pieces in place before you can even start to make any money. Well, you even start to think about paying for your marketing, yeah. which is such a barrier to entry. The cost of putting one property on the market mm. is, is, is so significant. Just agreeing with the portals on the terms that you are going to go for there is, is going to be drastically taking up quite a bit of your income to begin with, at least. Absolutely, 100%. So I just want to go back to what you said, though. Um, from a brand perspective, so I I think I read this a long time ago, and then someone said it to me recently, that at Keller Williams Market Centre, the threshold for success is to recruit 100 agents to work out of the market centre. So having run an estate agency that was a five-branch business for a period of 14 years, 100 agents is a big number. A lot of right? agents. I think you do that, Ben, as well. You're focusing on the number. It's, it's almost like quality over quantity. And I think Other way. That, quantity yeah, over quality. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think if we're comparing the models on why one has worked and why might one might not have worked, I think it comes down to experience. People think that this is just going to be an easy industry just to rock up in. And then if you've had no experience, I don't personally believe if you've never done it before, is to just come on board as a self-employed agent because you haven't had the grounding or you know hearing your colleagues deal with situations or in been in self-progression situations before and I think maybe that's probably the problem is they're focused on too much about trying to get too many people in as a as a as more of you know I think EXP got some really good quality talent in their early days that were almost you know at the, the top of the tree but they were great brand representatives because they yeah. knew what they were talking about they knew what they were doing Make but so all right, let me push back, right? Because Keller Williams market centers, the people running those market centers are experienced agents. And actually, Keller Williams model versus EXP. EXP is individuals working on their own as part of a wider group. I, I appreciate, but the argument is around a market center is that you've got experienced people running a market center. People come in, they get support, they get that learning. So, but so you would argue that the Keller Williams model looks like it's going to provide more support, more infrastructure, more ability to work with people that have got experience and, um, and you know, pick up those soft skills on a day-to-day -day basis. But what I really want to ask you actually, Reese, is based on what you just said, because I've had this uh, internal conversation about the future of a state agency and if everything is going to go self-employed, which I'm not against in my, our business, we have employed people, we have self-employed people, we have business partners. I am open to great people working in a format that works for them. That's, you know, that, 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 that works for me, but with self-employed agents, you said you wouldn't, you wouldn't bring in people that don't have experience. And I have the same conversation. I'm like, I'm proper geek, state agency. I'll cycle home at night and have an argument with myself. How do we recruit people that are self-employed that are based away from the rest of the business? And how do we train them up to the level they need? Which I think a lot of it is experience over classroom style training. How do we get people there? Anyone. I'm going to catch myself out on your answer. So <laughs> you need that support and you need that training school. But I just don't know if the first place to start is going as a self-employed agency. Now, if we change the industry, like if I wanted to become a hairdresser, I can't just rock up and be like, right, I'm going to join this brand and you're going to train me, but then I can start cutting hair straight away. And I think sometimes we decredit ourselves in terms of what we do. Now, unless someone's got a yacht hidden somewhere, we're selling someone's biggest financial asset. And I think there has to be a sense of responsibility to that because I'm going out and telling somebody what's my house is worth, but I could have just rocked up and set up an estate agency, you know, yesterday. And with a self-employed model that allows people to do that without any experience and 
any money behind them, then you're, you're, you're facilitating almost. Uh, listen, uh, I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Clearly, my hairdresser started last week. Um, <laughs> I got one of those new ones. Um, but you're right. This is such a conundrum. And people up and down the Finding Country Network will recruit people without experience and they will spend a long time training them. And, and it will work out for some people because it normally is down to the individual. But there are so many intricacies around a state agency that you just can't. I'm, yeah, I'm 20 years in and I'm still occasionally something will come up and I'll be well, that is brand new. I've yeah. never heard that in 20 years. So it's difficult. Megan, um, what, what do you think? It's been really interesting sitting here and watching you guys talk about it because actually you've got me who's never worked like in remotely until pretty much now. Just so you know, there's a social media clip there. You've absolutely shut yourself. You've, I've got a clip of you saying, I have never worked. I and have never that worked. That is going to be a clip. Never worked. I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. You're going to have to give me. <laughs> but what we've got here is we've got almost like a complete spectrum of different. So I'm, so what I'm really interested in is that Daniel said earlier that he's never worked on a high street. So actually mm -hmm. I'm really interested. So like for me, most of my experience and knowledge has come from my colleagues sitting next to me in an office and people coming in and me watching them going, oh, that's an interesting scenario. So I, I kind of think, actually, I don't want to answer it because I want to know what Daniel's got to say because actually he's the only <laughs> one who's doing it. Well, so being an online agent, it's not that we've always worked remotely. We're, we're in an office now. I'm in the office at the moment. Uh, there was a couple of years during COVID where obviously people did go remote and then we we're in the office again after that. You learn on mainly on the job. So for, for myself, at least, what I'll do with um, the entire team here is try and do like a training piece once a week. Um, and that is either go back to basics on this very basic thing, or we do what's called learning from our mistakes is what we call it. So we fully open about, okay, this there's been this mistake that's happened. This has been the outcome of it. What should we have done throughout the process? And it's everyone kind of being open to the mistakes that they've made in the past. You can share that then with your colleague um, and with us as well being online, we do tend to have typically larger volumes. Now it is purely online lettings. I haven't dealt with online sales since 2018 when Urban was working with eMove for like the six months before eMove went down. But nothing to do with you guys that, right? No, no. Well, we're still here, aren't we? <laughs> we got you there. Well played. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're still here. Um, but coming back to my point, if you're open about your mistakes and specifically from kind of a lesson standpoint, the portfolio and the volume you deal with tends to be a lot higher in an online capacity as opposed to a high street. So if you've got this situation that pops up one in a thousand times. Whereas your smaller independent agent might see that once every two, three years, we'll see it once every three, six months or so. So you do get that experience and that kind of knowledge of how to deal with these very bespoke odds issues that only crop up on occasion. And then you share it with the team and make sure that everyone learns how to do it. You then, if it is a brand new thing, you put a brand new process in place as to what you will now do with this when it next comes out and you make sure everyone knows exactly what to do at all times. Coming back onto the talking point then, the Keller Williams versus the, not versus the XP, but those are kind of the two that we've mentioned. I would have thought that Keller Williams being the market center, you can have more of that share of experience, but they're more likely to attract, as Reese has mentioned, kind of new people coming into the industry for the first time. Whereas as has also been mentioned EXP, you go out and you're on your own. So I feel like less people with no experience would want to go to an EXP type model where you're on your own because then you don't have that support. I see Reese is nodding, so I know I'm onto a good point. <laughs> Whereas with Keller Williams, you've got the support of an office, so you're more likely to hire kind of the, the initial kind of junior staff who are then the self-employed agents. But do you not think, though, that we have like as agents in general so obviously we have a duty of care to anyone we employ yeah. but but legally we're all assumed competent the moment we leave or the moment we start working in a state agency so whether you've got 25 years experience or five minutes experience 
in the eyes of the law, you are assumed competent. Yeah. So if we're sending out people with no training or no support or limited training and support, and we're just going, yeah, be an estate agent today. Do you not think that then like as a business, and I'm not just talking self-employed, I'm talking everybody. Yeah. We, we have a sense of obligation to those people to ensure it's right, because actually it could be a disaster. I think you can set out, especially in your own business and own estate agency, then what type of kind of service sits with the level of employee that's there. Um, so you wouldn't initially send out your very first junior person who started yesterday to go and do a valuation for a vendor or a landlord straight away. But you'll bring them along every now and then. You'll get their own opinion and then you'll slowly kind of build them up for the competency of that service. But so how does that push- work? In a sorry to interrupt, but how does that work in a self-employed model if there is no barrier of it? Like there's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what we're all agreeing on is that there isn't that kind of knowledge or kind of competency tests for so, it. It's just uh- I'll dip into the fine and country world for you. So not in our business, but I know networks, uh, sort of different areas of the country do things in slightly different ways. And so the fine and country business is a a licensed business, which is really similar to a franchise, but I call it a license. It's just a little bit looser. And the model for a lot of people is I'll be the licensee. And rather than employ people, I will give territories to self-employed agents. And those self-employed agents will... A lot of the time they'll base themselves from home. I think a few years ago they would have maybe had a high street office or they may have tried a uh, an office away from the high street, which is something we're actually looking at for ourselves. Um, but now it's there's there's very structured and regular training. There's a very, very detailed induction process. So they understand from a marketing and advertising and business generation perspective what needs to be done to be successful. Beyond that, they have the support of a back office team that are the experts in sales progression or uh, compliance, legislation, anything they may need beyond the front of house stuff. And so that's how I know that the guys up and down the land finding country handle it. Whether it makes for expert estate agents in a short period of time, probably not, actually. You don't get a 360 a degree view of everything in a state agency and you, you know it takes time to build and actually in a low volume model like finding country you only do a handful of deals probably as a self-employed agent every year anyway so that's a difficult difficult um ground to learn or a different difficult place to learn your your, your trade um one f- final question for you though on the let's just stick with keller williams and and, and exp because they, they feel like they're sort of moving in different directions both are massive powerhouse estate agents from the other side of the pond, massively successful in other areas of the world. You touched on this earlier, Daniel, that Keller Williams is about um, SLAs built around their market center and, 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 and around the brand. Whereas I think you and Reese already made the point that um, EXP is about the individual yeah, and it's about the individual agent and you're building a business with your name on the board as opposed to somebody else's. And we are seeing, I mean, we can't, we can't deny it. It's exploding, this model of self-employed agents in the UK. Is that something to do with it? You know, is, is the agent thinking, well, what do I want my picture on the board? Do I want my name on the board? Do I want to build my business? Or do I want to go sit in the Keller Williams business? Is that got anything to do with it? I in think terms of that, talent attraction? I think that personal branding across self-employed and employed agencies has become the next big thing, you know, and, and um, Stephen Bartlett said that that, pers- that investing in your personal brand is the biggest form of self-development you could do for yourself. And I, re- I really resonate with that because I think that that is why people go to something like EXP because I think there's more of a mentoring situation from the people I know at EXP. You know, you've got some great names there. And I think that actually when you're building a business, there's a little part of you that wants your name on the door, is it not? I mean, I don't own my own business, but I think if I did, I'd want... To be like, yeah, that's that's mine. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had my own business, and I, I I'm an introvert, believe it or not, co-hosting a podcast, um, <laughs> and I really didn't want my name on the top, so I came up with a random name. But yeah, I I, I do wonder if that's if that's a thing. You know, if I'm going to go this way or that way, and at some point in the future, I'm maybe going to pivot away. Do I want to be building a brand around myself? Um, personal branding, Daniel Reese, important. 
It definitely yeah. is. I mean, it gives you also a better kind of exit strategy to it as well. If you've gone through and you've branded all of your sales boards in the town with your name and your photo with just EXP in the corner, and then one day you decide, right, I don't want to do the self-employed model anymore. I want to be fully my own agent and then fully strike out on your own. Everyone knows who you are already. Everyone's seen your name everywhere. So you it gives you the exit strategy for then that service, which you could use in a two years, five years, 10 years, kind of down the line, but at least kind of helps set that up slightly. I mean, I'm in agreement. Reese, you look like you're fully in agreement right now. You're yeah. So you just, you just, you're frothing to get your. Yeah. I, I just can't disagree. I mean, it's people, <laughs> people. It's, 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 it's really, really, really simple. Um, and I think, um, look, this is a true story, actually. So I like to talk in true stories, but I had an old woman that stopped me in the high street the other day and I had no idea who she was. I've never met her before. And she said, I've seen you on my TV. And I'm like, oh, what, 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 what do you mean? Like thinking I've been on Crime Watch or something. But it turns out she'd actually just seen me on Facebook and she'd seen a video that I'd done. But for, for me, they joke in the, in the cast and because I'm in the cast all the time in our local area. Um, they joke that I'm <laughs> movie star because i've just been hammering videos in every local community page but everybody knows who i am now so when people think of property they think of me and it's you, you're building that brand and that's yeah so important, so important. what a, what have a beautiful heard... segue go on megan sorry i was just gonna say have you ever heard neil do you guys know neil baldock for um and matt baldock so neil <laughs> told me that he they've got good personal brands where they are and he actually had a local person ask him to turn the Christ his their Christmas lights on at their house. So Neil's <laughs> got a video of him literally being like, "Who is that? Which one was it, Matt or Neil?" Neil, and it's oh, such we a are getting video. a clip of that. It's such a good video, and literally, so like, can you imagine how awkward it is? It's in someone's living room, and he's there turning their Christmas. Look, I know oh, who's going our office oh, like. I'm, I'm going to come for those two massively. Um, okay, yeah, that is horrendous and highly amusing. Wow, is Megan frozen? Okay, you're oh, back. Oh, you frozen quite an interesting pose. That's good. Um, <laughs> okay, beautiful segue into subject number two. But before we get on to subject number two, subscribe, like, engage. If you work for EXP, give us a comment. If you work for Keller Williams, give us a comment. Um, if you're an estate agent, give us a comment. If you're a human being, give us a comment. Um, anything to engage. Subject number two, Reese. We're going to let, let's have you just continue with the flow. The place of social media in a state agency. So you are a celebrity in your own right. Yeah, tell us, I've, tell us, yeah, tell us what you've done to be so successful in this respect. Yeah, look from from a personal perspective, I actually find and like this podcast is putting myself out of my comfort zone. I wanted to be more committed into. Uh, video and stuff and I know we've had conversations about this in the past then but when I did my first video I thought it was cringy as anything but your biggest uh, critique is yourself and sometimes it's not about the perfect video with the perfect lesson you've just got to get on and you've got to do it consistently um, and we've we've found a massive place for that within our business so we, we we're, we're a high street business that actually has gone into that self-employed model um so firstly we we took on our local market we very quickly became uh, market leaders or very close to it and now we've attracted some of the agents that do work for some of the models that you've met will, will be coming over to us because they've seen what we can offer in terms of like the local brand presence um but it's a big decision for them and when we're talking to those agents about you know joining us but with their name because it is exciting having your name above the door um, especially if you want to be um, that self-employed agent it's, it's, a, it's a great middle ground but social media it's, it's just helped us so so much even though it's been so uncomfortable for me to do I've just now I don't overthink it anymore it's just okay we'll we'll, we'll whack it out um, and I'll Steady on, Reece. I mean this is a family show <laughs> yeah. there's another clip right there as an absolutely Reese racking it out. Good for this, you. Uh, this podcast is ruining careers left, right, and center. <laughs> that is what we're here to do. But what one property within a week, we got 12,000 views. So we were really, really, really proud of that. Um, and then we carried on sponsoring it after that. Um, and and you know, we went up to nearly 20,000. And even though it's sold, we we still got valuations off the back of it because people are like, Oh, I like what you're doing there. And a lot of people in agency, and it really frustrates me. And I I use this in my pitch in the living room all the time is everyone is saying they're doing video trailers now, but you've got 
some that are Santa doing videos and then some that are just got pictures moving left to right, up and oh. down. That is not video trailer to me because it is showing you no different to the photos they've already seen other than a bit of soft music over it to, to try and try and draw them in. So I'm a massive fan now of presenter-led videos, not only because you're selling that house in its best potential, which is what you are there to do, okay? And we have to move on from the times. So, you know, newspapers wasn't good enough, right move come along. Right move is obviously good enough, but you've, you've got to add to that with your, your, your passion. But I'll, I'll rant over now, yeah. I'm, no, good, I'm... lovely. That was a beautiful little rant there. Success, genuine success, move with the times. Um, don't fake your videos. Great message. Um, Megan, you're not really you're not really into social media, are you? No, I don't really see the point, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, come on, tell everyone. Tell us um, how wonderfully uh, or how well uh Dad, I've lost my sentence. Megan, help me out. Take over. Um social media, Megan, how do you do it really well? Um <laughs> I think I think absolutely everything that you've already just said, really, I think you've got to be confident with it. Like for me, so I went and started up my TikTok account um, when we didn't have any agents on there because everyone was like, oh, no one's going to make any business from TikTok. Um, and then I had a landlord bring in eight sets of keys for a portfolio that I hadn't even been to because he'd seen my TikTok account. So I'm a firm believer that social media reaches in a completely different way. And that if we just constantly focus on one platform it doesn't work and actually um i'm great on tiktok but i'm absolutely terrible on instagram so like everyone's got their platform that they're they're good at um but yeah you can get the views you can get the the interactions but for me it it what took me from being absolutely completely not known to suddenly being known across the industry and speaking at conferences so like it, it's massively like sent my career like poof, from a business generation perspective, so that's a great story. You had a landlord come in, eight sets of keys, <clears throat> because that is the argument you hear time and time again. The consumer isn't shopping on social media, but in your experience, they are, right? Maybe they might not even have been shopping at the time. So this particular landlord, two of his properties were available, and the other ones he wanted me to take over management. And that was because he built his trust watching me on social media. Because I was being genuine on social media as well. Like I was, you'll be, you would get a hundred percent real Megan on all those videos. And he saw me answering questions and talking passionately with tenants, with landlords, with sellers, with buyers. And he was like, yeah, okay, I want to work with her. And so actually we did a transference and then two new lets on top of that. That's an amazing story. But the, the one thing that I think we just need to hammer home that anyone listening or watching needs to know is it's genuine Megan. You're, it's about authenticity. You know, f social media can be a depressing place to live if you believe the nonsense that you see, if you believe the waffle, because everyone's leading their best life. And then you meet that. But, oh, you know, I've got countless examples on my social media that I see people I know presenting in one way in, in real life. You're actually this character. And I think they do so much better if they were them, their genuine selves online. Um, and that's why that, that perspective, like that, well, that landlord came to see you. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why people are sceptical about state agency on social media. So they think they have to fake it. But I, I genuinely, you know, I couldn't be more wrong. Um, Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, the, the people watching you can tell as well. Like if you aren't being genuine and you aren't being kind of authentic with your videos and with your posts and what you're putting out there, then if people can, people are going to be able to spell that a mile away. And if you are lying about kind of everything that you've put out there, Oh, here's a lovely video of our property. We rented it and sold it within two minutes of when we first got the instruction through. Probably not, let's be honest. Um, and if you are going out there and you're kind of putting those false statements out, people are going to be able to tell that and you're not going to get the kind of business in that you want because that's the point of social media, right? It's, it's there for business generation. You're going to use it to find vendors, generate vendors, find landlords, find tenants, and kind of generate business through it. You don't just kind of do it for the sake of it. There is the business goal that comes as part of it as well. So you need to make sure that you are going to, if you are going through with it, you need to be consistent with things. They'll see, I have no idea how many TikToks a guy's going to scroll, scroll through within a day for you just to be one of those. And you've only ever posted one video a month ago, probably not going to happen. You're putting up, two different clips every day, all day, Monday to Friday, 
there's then a much larger spread that you've put out there in the world for people to see. Yeah, I mean, get more the, back. The what you're, you're, I mean, you're talking my language right now. It's, if it's going to be a lead generation exercise, mm. you need to work it just like you do your other historic lead generation activities. You don't prospect once a year and hope to get results. You don't canvas once a year. These things are daily. They're rituals. They're habitual. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And, and But I guess it's a cultural thing where we've seen over the last 10, 15, 20 years, all these activities, they work. They generate opportunities for us. We're not necessarily, we don't necessarily believe social media can. So we give up after three weeks of really crazy intensity and then disappear again. So yeah, I, it's it can be a thankless task, as I'm sure all of us know, that you can work and work and work at it and you spend a huge amount of time on a particular piece of content and it's going to be amazing and it gets four views. And then that dud piece of content that you threw together that you didn't like, but you needed to post some it, ends up with 10,000 views and just... Yes, that's social media. So I don't know if you've seen like, so so one of the things that I, so last year, this year, sorry, I spoke at the Women in Estate Agency Conference about personal branding. And I did the whole be more corgi thing. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but people have taken it massively out of context thinking I think everyone should be a dog. I have three corgis as you can tell, right? But actually what that was, is everything you guys have just encompassed and it was C, consistent, O, original, R, relevant, G interesting and sorry, G genuine, I and interesting. So be more corgi. And if you're more corgi with all of your social media, then it's going to stick. But you're right. Sometimes it flops and sometimes it flies. But I have videos that I thought flopped and then they come back. Mm -hmm. Like they, they yeah, somehow yeah. come back up to the top of the pile. Like yeah, I have yeah. one video on TikTok that was like probably one of my first 20 videos. And it was about questions to ask in an interview when you want to be a junior neg. And it gets consistent like every week now, but like yeah. it flopped at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so we do lots and lots around digital, around videography, around social and really basic piece of advice. If someone's going to start out now, which, you know, if you think about the amount of estate agents in the country and then how many you see on social media, there's a lot that could just be starting out right now. And they, they think about things like, um, or they hear words like viral. I want to go viral. Don't know what it means, but I want to go viral. Um, Twenty years ago, it meant something very different. I assure you. Um, you, you shouldn't. I mean, there's too. Much, I think there's too much focus on far and wide, and not enough focus on niche and relevant. And so, you know, the vast majority of our content is about the local market we work in. And so, if I do personally a market update on Chiswick, which is a small town in West London, it's relevant to those people and nobody else. So there's no way for it to go viral because most people are going to flick straight through. I've got no interest in it. And I'm comfortable with that because for the, well, the small population, it's a reasonable size town, but for that population, it's relevant. And so I'm actually trying to, at some point, transact and build a commercial relationship with these people. And that's what that's the benefit of that is. If you want to produce viral content, be very, very comfortable that it's probably not going to be totally related to your area. And that's okay. You can have a mix, but don't obsess over thousands of likes and thousands of views my view is you actually if you if you if you hit that number really really early then your account maybe not maybe is not matured enough for it to be really beneficial to you um you so i feel like we're all landing on the same place go on megan sorry i was just gonna say it was interesting what you just said there so did you guys see that video that went around of the singing estate agent <laughs> yes it was like the never-ending property which went around yeah. my head like constantly. Um, and she's lovely. I watched a couple of interviews with her and she was a really nice lady. But then I don't know if you guys saw, I think it was about two weeks ago, she actually was in the trade press again because she's left a state agency. She was disinstructed because the owner said that they felt the video mm. like almost overcame like what was them wanting to sell their home. The video was more important than the actual yeah. sale of the property. And like, obviously that wasn't the intention of the lady. That was just her style and her unique way of marketing. <laughs> Um, and, you know, you could argue that it got the house out there, but from the owner's point of view, they didn't want their house to go viral or, or they didn't in hindsight, they wanted to sell their home. Um, and that lady, you know, she basically said, I've left the state agency now, like it's not, it's not for me, um, which is a shame because obviously she's got an eye for marketing, but it was an interesting take on that because I think that actually it's all well and good your property is going viral, but sometimes it's not the attention that you want. Yeah, and there's a, a really well-known estate agent in London that works at the top end of the market. 
who left a well-known brand because he used social media and, and wasn't meant to in the way that he used it. And so there's, you know, I, yeah, th I think we've got a long way to come in a state agency, maybe in the UK in terms of how we use social media in a state agency, because um, culturally our clients are not necessarily in tune with what social media is. Do we use it actually as a commercial tool? Is it a, For me, social media is marketing now much more than a few years ago when it was simply pictures of my children. Now it's actually much more business, a lot less personal. And so we've got a lot to learn in that respect. Um, I think a huge part of the estate agency piece is can we expose your property to the widest possible audience of the right sort of buyers? Um, and social media allows that. It creates a platform to do that. But if you're not articulating that to your client, there's quite a lot of risk around that. So, um, yeah, it's a good point, Megan. Um, anything more on this before we wrap up and, and finish on our third subject? No, wonderful. Solid. Yeah. We are on track for time, guys. You'll be delighted to know. Um, amazing. So peace, we started this with time management and we're doing such a good job of it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm astonished. That's just what you preach. Well, it will be the first time. No. <laughs> um, so subject number three was is very specific. We're going to post this a, a link to this piece like we do with all the in the content uh, below. Everything, the people we talk about, the news articles, different stuff. Very specifically, I want to talk about a news article that came out last week, and it was titled um, regarding a housing market crash. Now, the reason it stuck out for me is that 160,000 people had read that news piece. Now, that's that's not common. A trade press news piece is normally a state agency, and you might get 12,000 people if it's about uh, purple bricks or right move. They get the heat, those two subjects. Uh, but this housing market crash, it must have been picked up by Google, the algorithm pushed it out, and it was a news piece. So that tells you what you need to know. A headline about a housing market crash is important to the world of state but clearly it's something that the consumer is concerned about they're looking at. Now, it covered off why we may find ourselves in a housing market crash. The um, Let me check my show notes. It's Ed Conway, um, an, uh, an expert in economics predicting that um, rates might peak now at 5.75, whereas we thought they might peak at around 5%. And we're going to be in trouble. It's going to be worse than the 90s. The impact will be greater on the consumer. Now, this is there's a bit of clickbait around the headline, and there's some content there, but it's another prediction from another expert economist. Seems like they're everywhere, everywhere I look right now, certainly the last nine months. Um, I send the piece to Megan, to Daniel, to Reese. Daniel, we'll start with you. What's your take on this? Like I said, it is a prediction. Whether it, it comes through or not is going to be a different story. But you also need to bear in mind that when you when there are those predictions out there saying, no, no, don't get a mortgage now, it's going to be terrible. Uh, it could be terrible for the next five years, so don't do anything. It then also has an impact on the consumer behavior at the same time. And you have less people, people possibly thinking to move and sell up in a year's time, probably going, oh, this piece that I read said mortgage rates are going to be a bit high. So what I'll do is I'll just wait a little bit longer until they come back down again. And then it takes a house for sale and a vendor out of the market. Then at that same point, um, you spoke about it. They're forecasting it to be, what was it? 5.75%. Now. Yeah. 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 By was it now by early next year? Sorry. Early next year. Early next year. Yeah. Which is one of the, largest kind of rates increase that we've seen in a while it's been in a good position and very low rates for what the last decade or so a little bit longer about 15 years or so really that it's been in a nice kind of rate for people that's seen that coming through but again it's a forecast and a prediction you can go into search on google again and you'll see an exact other piece that will say oh no there's no housing crash don't need to worry about it it's confusing, it's, right? Yeah, if you're a consumer right now, there is so much conflicting news. I mean, I, we work in this, we live and breathe yeah. it. I know you three do, I know everyone in our business does. This is one of those industries where you never, you're always in it. And I know estate agents that are in it every single day and they don't have a clue what's going on. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, in a negative way. What I mean is you can open up the trade press and on any given day, six, find six pieces of news that contradict each other. It's astonishing. Yeah. Asking prices are increasing. Um, property prices are down year on year. Mortgage rates are up. 
but mortgage applications are down. This, it, there's so much. Um, Reese, what's your take? Look, you know, we get asked it all the time as experts, and it's it's definitely a question I feel uncomfortable with because, like you've all touched on it, it, it is a prediction, and you can't assume what's 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 going to happen. And that's something I'm always really careful on. But what you can go on is is facts that previously happened when there's been previous things like that. And I think there's always a reason why you shouldn't buy a house. You know, if it's not the interest rates, it might be that, you know, in COVID property prices went too high, so they're probably going to get downvalued in two years' time. There's always a reason why you shouldn't. But there's always a reason why you should. And I think that that's really difficult, and that's why you've got the conflicting stories from industry press on, on, on what looks good. Um, but if you look back at time to, like, the last market market crash, it's a roller coaster. It will come up. It will go down. Um, so as long as it's, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's something I feel really, really uncomfortable to answer because you can only... You can't. <laughs> All right, let me take some of the heat off you. Did you know in the last 50 years, property prices have only gone backwards four years out of 50? What a crazy stat. <clears throat> so when there is a crash, when there is an issue with the market, property prices generally flatline. You'll see a dip one year and then they'll begin to recover within a 12, 13 month period, which is insane. So to your point, I think if you're in the zone to buy and it's a long term investment, even a midterm investment, if you're there for a few years, you're generally going to find yourself in a positive position. Um, Megan, thoughts? It's it's funny when people ask me that question, I'm like, look, I might be Meg, but I'm not Mystic Meg. I cannot predict the future. <laughs> um, so it, it is good. It, I, as we say, it's guesswork. We don't really know what's going to happen. I think what we can be sure of is that while interest rates are at a higher um, place, we need to be mindful about what that knock-on effect has on our, our business, not just the consumers. And I think what that means is we really need to be realistic with how we're pricing property. We need to be really realistic and make sure our negotiation skills are really fine-tuned because people who are at the top level of what they can afford because they've got a new baby coming or whatever the reason for that move is they are going to be much more engaged about how they're negotiating with you so you really need to make sure that you have got your negotiation skills in tune I kind of think that you know we keep talking about like will we get a recession I think that it's you know as a state agent you should all have to work through a recession it's part of like the the badge of honor that you get and actually it's a really good chance to to work out where your skill set is um, the knock-on effect, I think, though, from my point of view, with a little lettings hat on, is that if landlords are being pushed, you know, they're mainly on variable rates or interest-only rates, all they're doing is pushing the rents up, that's having a massive knock-on effect on then those who are trying to rent who may be saving to buy or may be in a vulnerable position. And that's pushing more and more pressure on the government to do stupid changes and talk about things like rent control, if rent control comes in, we then have a massive issue because then suddenly that's going to be reversing out of the market, all these investors. So we have to look at the whole picture on this now. And whilst interest rates are costing people more every month in terms of their mortgage, what is the long term effect of that? And how is that going to affect both aspects of our business, new, you know, lettings and sales? Yeah, we had a detailed conversation about lettings uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, the crazy circumstances we find um, around the country now, um, Christian uh, from Base Property Specialists had an example where a rent had gone up by 50% uh, for yeah. a tenant, which is just, you know, and as it happens, you know, the specifics of the story, it wasn't, you've got this scrupulous landlord who's who's going who's gonna to treat people badly. He hadn't raised the rent for, any, oh, sorry, it was a church. They hadn't raised the rent for an extended period of time, but it is a commercial operation and they needed to raise the rent and they gave extended um, time for the tenants to find a new property and it just didn't work out. And I'm sure there are stories around the country like that. Um, the flip side of that argument is if rates are being pushed up, landlords are left with little option but to do the same, pass that on. Um, do we find ourselves in a position where we need government intervention? I'm not sure. I certainly hope we don't ever find ourselves in a position where we have rent controls because I think we'll see a mass exodus of landlords, individual landlords from the market. And that can, ha that you know, the last, we were a, a reasonable size lettings business actually rather than sales business before we sold and 10 years ago at that point i remember being in a manager's meeting and collectively saying right now we might be looking at the end of the prs in about 25 years 
because there was so much interference being pushed and so much build to rent being pushed that you're looking at institutional investment, which will scare away. So yeah, we're at a real, I think we're at a real crux and um, it will be interesting what happens. Um, in terms of that housing market crash piece though, and pulling ourselves back because this happens every single episode. Um, what I would say is, uh, um, Reese, you said don't make assumptions, you know, because they make an ass out of me and you, and you're absolutely right. The, the assumptions, I'm not saying we shouldn't be able to give guidance or where we think things might move towards, but I don't believe that anyone has ever lived in a period like we've just had over the last few years. The amount that's gone on that we've experienced, which has had an impact on our economy, which impacts the property market, or you know, say whichever way you want to say that. Um, Brexit, which people seem to have forgotten about Brexit. That's just just because we've had such a crazy period, but Brexit is a pretty significant issue that we've just dealt with, or maybe still dealing with. Then we had COVID, then we had a housing market which went absolutely crazy, and now we've got um a war, and now we've got um cost of living crisis, and now we've got inflation, which Everyone's predicting inflation is going to start to do this and it's doing that again. So those predictions mean nothing. And they are people far brighter than me. The Bank of England 12 months ago told us we'd be in a recession by the end of 2022. It's not their job to tell us that. They told us and they were wrong. And they are experts. Um, all these experts were telling us um, we're looking at a 20 to 25% reduction in property price value over the next two years. They were saying that October, November last year. Property prices are not doing that. Where So all these predictions, all these experts are grabbing the headlines. It's the five minutes of fame piece. You know, if I say something really crazy, my business partner said when we were doing a training session recently, the reason that person is on the news is because I'm boring. When I say we're looking at static, we're looking at maybe a little dip. That's boring. No one wants to hear that. I can assure you, no one wants to hear minus 20%, but it's clickbait, isn't it? So um, I know it's tough out there right now. Uh, I know agents up and down the land are thinking, what does the future hold? I would advise, just don't read these pieces. Be informed, be the expert in your area. Um, Megan, absolutely love, get your negotiation skills fine-tuned. I mean, I, I can't stress it enough. If you're new to the agent, agency business in the last couple of years, maybe you haven't got a lot of experience in what nego negotiation looks like. It's time for some training, time for some development, time to get on top of that. Um, because uh, what did you say? Everybody should work through a, uh, a recession. It's how your badge of honor. I said to our team at the end of 2022, that 2023 is the year we've been working for. 2023 is all of our experience means we're going to have a very, very strong 2023 because it's going to be tougher out there. There's going to be agents that are six months behind us in terms of what the market's doing. The consumer isn't going to have a clue. Buyers want to buy at 2008. Sellers want to sell at 2021. We're going to have to bridge that gap. It's exciting if you like a challenge, uh, but I'm also very, very conscious that I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's going to be tougher. I mean, I'm I'm weird. I like tough. That's That sounds fun for me. Um, but that's the game we find ourselves in. Guys in agreement? Yeah. You can't, you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. Wow. Megan, you are just social media. Oh, there's so many. That's going to be your, you're going to have that on your wall behind you by the end of this. I think there's two aspects of this as well. We're talking about what the consumers want and we're talking about what agents need. And I think to protect ourselves, we, we have to look at our fees because we're one of the, we've, we've talked to, I think Daniel touched on it um, um, earlier. We're one of the only industries that hasn't gone with the times and put our fees up, but prices of everything else is going up around us. And it's got, it's got to start at home, otherwise we're going to be the first offence. And then we're not going to give that support and quality to the customer. So the race to the bottom has to stop, and it has to stop now, because it'll be too late if we stop that when the recession comes along, because you won't meet your monthly bills. Joe Parry said it last week. If your service providers, your third parties, if they're putting their prices up, then you have to put yours up. Um, that was a conversation specifically about right move, but... Joe has an exceptional business. He's a two and a half percent agent because he believes in the service. He delivers great service and he asks for that fee. And we've had different agents on the podcast that will say, I'm not that level yet. My advice is current market conditions allow you to present a solution that maybe isn't being provided right now, but that solution comes at a higher rate as a more respectable fee point uh, because you can't deliver great service if you're worried about the next deal. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't be worried about it. What I'm saying is if it's such high volume to cover the overheads, then service is going to be stretched. So yeah, Reese, that's a great point. It, it comes down to as well, it's, it's not my catch line, but uh, I think it was Christopher Watkins that said it, but if they're not agreeing to your fee, you were not good enough. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, and you will get the odd one that is just a stickler for money and um, they are just going to go down the cheapest product because they haven't seen your value. But that's on them because the majority will see the value you're offering if you go out and pitch it um, perfectly. And I think coming back to assumptions, because I touched on it earlier, we assume so much more about the customer than they actually know. You know, I, I've, I've said, to, I've gone in brave before and two, I've said 2%. Now we know as an industry, 2%, oh, you're smashing it, Reese. But actually the customer turned around to me and said, oh, that's really cheap. And I was like, I should have gone 3%. <laughs> <laughs> Our assumption is we're going in there thinking that they're going to think 2% is expensive, but it's, it's not always the case. We need to stop assuming and start with that change now. If in any other walk of life, if you said, I just need 2%, you'd be like, it's nothing. 2% is nothing. Yeah, it's absolutely nothing. But yeah, you're right. Everyone's living in their own head. Everyone's convinced themselves that they can't get this fee or they're expensive or somebody else is going to charge less or they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Um, right, I'm conscious of time. This has been wonderful. We're going to go, well, we've got two segments left. S segment one is great agents you guys have worked with, why they're great. Because I'm conscious of time, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do what we did last week. Great agents you worked with, and then a great piece of advice you would offer if they if they mould because you know this agent used to do something and I think it's a great idea. That's okay. If they don't, they don't. Daniel, over to you. Great agent you worked with, why they're wonderful, and a really good piece of advice agents should be following right now. Great agent that I worked with is a guy called uh, Jake Byerly. Um, he's worked here at Housey for years, and he left a, a couple of months ago. Um, we're bit of context we're based in Coventry he moved to London so he had to kind of change his position and change his own role and, and take another job in London he was he was I'm saying that like he's passed he still <laughs> is a great mentor um, and, a, and a great friend of mine he has always been very knowledgeable about the industry in total and again coming from kind of the online perspective everyone here and especially him we used to look at things in a different kind of view um where you've got this specific problem pop up okay let's look at the damage control for it let's look at the process for it let's look to try and change this and it was developing these processes and mentoring the team and making sure that everyone knew exactly kind of what the roles were and knew their own development was was what made him a great agent because he focused on the people side of things very nice coming still to then the the piece of advice um the piece of advice is to develop for any agent out there develop yourself sit down for 15 20 minutes and write down exactly what you're great at exactly what you're so kind of okay at and what you're absolutely terrible at and then you know where to work on if you don't know what your things, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, how are you meant to work on your weaknesses and how are you meant to build up your strengths even more? Spend the time, just know what you're good at and then develop yourself the best way that you can. Very nice. Personal development. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Reese, over yeah. to you, sir. Best agent I work with is a guy called Jamie Fisher. So he's got a uh, business uh, down in Essex. So we both worked at Countrywide. He was my first branch manager. I came in as a T-boy on a moped and, and grew up. But he, he was just a great mentor. And I, I see him now at um, uh, events up and down the country. So obviously he's down in Essex. So I'm up, up in Yorkshire. But it's just good to see him again. And, you know, all of those conversations, like we, we touched on it earlier, Megan, is being around colleagues in a branch. Like my, my pitch is 10% of him, 10% of someone else, 10% of that person, and then maybe 30% of me. Um, and there's some some great stuff that I learned from him um, and he's gone up. My advice is um, stop assuming, pick your fees up and do it now. <laughs> oh, we should have finished with you. That would have been such a good finish. Stop <laughs> assuming and get your fees up. Lovely. Um, Megan, over to you for the big finish. Mine's an easy one. So I am going to give it to Vicky Babiris, who is was my agents together mentor originally and now is my boss. Um, wow, did she pinch you? No comment. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. There's an NDA that's broken somewhere now. 
so yeah, so she was my mentor, I think, for two years, and then um, yeah, it was it was a match made in heaven by the, by that point. Um, but what she does for as for her team and for our the, our business is is just I, I've never worked with anyone quite like her. She's a bit of a force. Um, my advice is going to be that when shit hits the fan, be the expert because we have the power now to shape the narrative and as spider-man's uncle once said with great power comes great responsibility so we have the opportunity now to sculpt the narrative of a of a, a housing crash of the renters reform whatever it is but you are the expert and people and your consumers are looking at you for that advice absolutely 100 agree um so if we mold that together if you really really care about personal development it will allow you to be the expert in your area and by being the expert in your area you 100 percent charge the appropriate fee oh that's beautiful guys it's like you guys planned oh it's wonderful it's like when you solve a rubik's cube not that i would know um okay so this has been wonderful thank you so much guys great contributions we're gonna say goodbye now and watkins whimsy is gonna sign us out for the day so see you next week Bye. Later. Friends of the estate agency industry, we find ourselves at the end of June in unprecedented times in the housing market. I want to talk to you about how we can use these uncertain times to seize the opportunity. The challenges of the cost of living crisis, rising mortgage rates and inflation have undoubtedly made their impact felt. But let me tell you, as estate agents, we need to see this as an opportunity. Now more than ever, we need to embrace the current market conditions while simultaneously planning for the worst. We need to understand that the housing market can be unpredictable. And if it takes a turn, we must be prepared to adapt swiftly. Our focus must be able to shift from being seller-centric to being buyer-centric at the turn of a hat. We need to recognize the financial challenges that buyers face and sellers face and the importance of finding homes within their means. We need to be aware of the challenges that our sellers are facing with increased mortgages. Empathy and understanding must be at the core of our approach. As estate agents, we have a duty of care to guide and support our clients through these uncertain times. You need to be there to provide expert advice, navigate the market intricacies, and ensure that you give informed decisions. You need to be their trusted partners, offering reassurance and a steady hand throughout the process. Together, let's rise to this occasion, fellow estate agents. Let's seize this opportunity to make a positive impact on the lives of the people that we serve. We need to both be adaptable and resourceful, and in fact committed to delivering exceptional service to both sellers and buyers. Because no matter what the challenges that lie ahead, all of us need to be confident that we can weather any storm and emerge stronger. It's all about getting people to trust you. And the way that you do that is by being informed and giving them the best advice for them. 2023 could be the best year for UK estate agency. Let's hope so.